You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. Family Matters. And today we are discussing friendships on our Family Matters feature. How to build and maintain healthy friendships. Look, friends add a wonderful dimension to our lives. We share a lot with our friends, right? From challenges, uh, milestones to embarrassing moments. But unlike family and intimate relationships, friendships have less rigidly defined norms and rules and boundaries. And the problem with this is it can really leave us feeling unclear as to what is normal, what is not, right? What is healthy? Am I crossing over the boundaries or not when it comes to friendships? So on our Family Matters feature today, I want us to look at how you can build and maintain these healthy friendships. How do you craft those boundaries? You've got to put in a lot of investment um, in friendships that is needed in order for you to have a healthy friendships. And if you have found a healthy balance in your friendships, why don't you give me a call? Right on 011-883-0702. How do you manage boundaries while keeping close connections in your friendships? And are boundaries clearly defined in your friendships? Or do you make up the rules and the boundaries as you go and as it is necessary? I want to hear your experiences of friendships on the WhatsApp line as well on 0727021702. Jeannie Carvey is a clinical psychologist who's joining us via Skype. Uh, Jeannie, welcome back to the show. Good morning. Thank you, Clemens. Always so much fun to be here. So what is the impact? Let's start with just how important it is for us to have good and healthy friendships. What impact does that have on our lives? Well, it's an incredibly important part of our lives. It forms part of the relationship layer of self-actualization. And according to Abraham Maslow, we have different layers of needs that are required for us to be met in order for us to self-actualize. And we have our family relationships where we get a lot of what we call vertical culture inherited of this is how we do things and this is how we see you. And in friendships, we get an opportunity to redefine ourselves in new ways and by adopting what we call a horizontal culture of this is how I'd like other people to see me, this is how I'd like to be in the world. So it adds in another layer of dimension of our experience of ourselves to have friendships. And I think especially with COVID and a lot of people working from home and not having friends at work and people re-entering into social spaces now, people have lost touch a little bit with friendship and how important it is for our sense of self Mm -hmm. and also for our relational needs to be met by our friends. Mm. So what would constitute a healthy friendship? Well, I think that for me, all relationships, there's the three C's. For me, in an intimate relationship, it's chemistry, communication, and compatibility. But in friendship, that first C turns into connection. And maybe throughout the show, we can just unpack what those three C's are. There needs Mm. to be connection, there needs to be effective communication, and there needs to be compatibility. And I'd love to also hear from the listeners you know, maybe some of the challenges they've had along those three dimensions of having a sustainable relationship. So for me, a healthy relationship is one that is sustainable, um, one that has all three of those layers, mm-hmm. connection, communication, and compatibility. Yeah, and, and I want us to dissect them um, in a short while um, because I think there's a lot we can say about that. Uh, but before we do, uh, let, let's talk about what can be an unhealthy friendship then because then that lays the foundation well for us to understand you know, what a good and healthy friendship is all about. So why is it that sometimes it is hard to build unhealthy friendships? And what do unhealthy friendships look like? 
Well, I think there's another C, and it's a C that we don't want, and that's the C of codependence. Now, codependence mm. doesn't necessarily mean that we do everything together and we spend all of our time together. A lot of times when I'm working with dyads, whether it's a parent and a child or siblings, because I get more people coming to complain to me about their siblings and their spouses, or even friends, um, they're sometimes surprised to hear that I think that they might have a codependent relationship. And codependence doesn't mean that you spend all your time together or that you can't go or you can't do things without each other. Codependence is when one person takes responsibility for the other person's needs and doesn't actually take responsibility for their capacity to manage that person's needs. And the other person can either agree, yes, you are responsible for my needs, and yes, you shouldn't have needs of your own, and you shouldn't, you should have infinite capacity for my needs, mm. or the other person does the same thing. So I think that an unhealthy relationship, whether it's a friendship or an intimate relationship, is one in which there is codependence, where I feel responsible for another person's needs. I don't manage my capacity in meeting their needs and I don't express my needs. I expect them to know what those needs automatically are. And that can lead to a lot of codependence. And in that way, it's just like a system where one plus one is equal to one. There cannot be any growth. And we find sometimes people feeling like they've outgrown their friendships or their friendships don't support their self-actualization a lot of times because of codependence. Mm-hmm. So uh, what I have, you know, from a personal experience, uh, I've come to realize is that we've got, you know, different friends, right? You you spoke earlier about the different layer of needs. And I was asking myself, what needs, um, you know, do my friendships actually meet? And I'm realizing that I've got different friends, you know, that I have connected with and I've maintained friendship. I've got friends that I'm compatible with um, and, and, and I've got friends that I may not be that compatible with, but to an extent we understand each other. Uh, but the point I'm making is they're all, you know, different categories of friends. And and I often wonder if it helps, right, to have all of those or it helps to have just your core and then you've got what you would call acquaintances or people you get along with. Or is it okay actually to, when you think of, the layers of needs and you say, actually, I've got a group of friends who meet these needs. I've got another group of friends who meet these needs. Is that healthy? Is that normal? Yeah, so I like to call it like your solar system. So you've got to be the sun in your solar system and Mm. then you've got people in different orbits. So some are Mercury, some are Venus, some are Earth, some are Mars and some are all the way out there. Maybe some are even Pluto that used to be and aren't really part of your solar system anymore. And those people, the people that you let closest to you, they get the very best um, and the most of the value that you have to add. But it's courses for courses. There's different friends that have got different skills that you go to have to have different needs met. And my one client put it so beautifully. She said that um, she thinks of it not as a solar system, but as different cookies. And her least favorite cookie is the Mari biscuit, and she gives a lot of Mari biscuit to everybody. Mm. But her favorite is the Romani cream right in the center. So it just depends on what kind of capacity you have. You know, we have people that get really, really drained by interacting with other people and people that feel really energized by interacting with other people. So it depends on your capacity. But what the most important point I want to take away from that, Clement, is that we, we can never expect one person or one system to fulfill all of our needs. Yeah. That mm-hmm. a sustainable relationship meets two of our six fundamental human psychology needs, and we can talk about that if you like. A magical relationship meets four of them. But no relationship meets all six. And so we do need different strata. We do need different systems that we engage in 
to make sure that all six of our basic human needs are met at different times by different people. So not putting all our eggs in one basket. Yeah. 011-883-0702. Do you have a codependency in your friendships and how are you dealing with that? Um, and if you've managed over the years to build a healthy friendship, I would like to hear from you. How have you built and maintained that healthy friendship? Look, there are some toxic friends and you can share with us how you've walked away from that or how you've turned that around um, to be a healthy friendship, right? There are sometimes issues around boundaries. Do you clearly define boundaries in your friendship? There are friends that are overly sensitive. There are friends that are overly needy. How do you deal with things like that? I'll take your calls. You can send a WhatsApp as well on 072-702-1702. Dikelady on Twitter says, Clement, boundaries in friendships depend on the uh, psycho-emotional maturity of the parties. I have two close friends who are more like sisters right now. We've been friends for more than 30 years and we are still going strong. No clinging at all. That's what Dike Lady says. Thanks for sharing that uh, with us, Dike Lady. So, um, Ginny, I'll take some calls on WhatsApp shortly, but let's go through those three C's again and maybe let's start with connection uh, because that's like the first reason that you choose, right, someone to be your friend, why is that important? Because I've often heard of people who say, oh, we didn't get off from a good start, but look at where we are now. Yes, well, you have to have something in common. So there has to be some common ground. And maybe you didn't get off on the right foot in the beginning because you had to work on communication. Um, but there was a reason why you were motivated to keep working on the communication. Let's say you work together or you have a mutual friend or your kids go to the same school. So there has to be some kind of connection. And a lot of the time there's a, an undefinable sort of click between people. Um, in the romantic context, we'd call that chemistry. But here I just call it connection. And, you know, in neuroscience, we call it neuroception, where you recognize a nervous system that is actually on the same wavelength as yours. Um, and you meet, you go to a party, you meet some people, and there's some people that you click with instantly, and you know you recognize on some say on some level, hey, this is one of my people. And there's people that you don't really click with. Um, and like you say, sometimes you are motivated to keep working on the communication until you get to understand each other better. But it's important that there is some kind of mutual ground um, that motivates you to keep building on the friendship, and that can either be a mutual interest a mutual context that you share, like work or a, a mutual friend and mm. um, children at school, or just this mutual sense of connection that you have from your nervous system sort of resonating with one another. And that that motivates people to keep building on their communication, which is the second of the three Cs. Uh, why is that second C so important? Because we often think of communication as, as long as I master it in my intimate relationships, then that is fine. And and sometimes when you're not communicating well, whether it's about something that you're not happy about, whether it's about something that's happened, a confusion that, 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 that has occurred, that is not going to help. You end up having feelings of resentment towards um, each other. So why is that second C important? And how often do we exercise it? Because I feel like sometimes we appreciate it when it comes to intimate relationships, but we don't think it's just as equally important when it comes to friendships. Yeah, it's, it's important all around because a relationship is made of communication. You know, we used to think that the relationship was the host pipe and communication was the water that flowed through the host pipe. But actually, the communication is both the host pipe and the water. And, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes 
come to me and say, we've got a great relationship or we just can't communicate, but that's actually technically not possible because a relationship is made of communication. And so we, we write a lot, we think a lot, we hear a lot, we listen to a lot of podcasts about intimate relationships, but actually there's so much that happens in our friendships that we don't actually think about what is important in terms of effective communication. And if we don't have effective communication, we can't have effective relationships. And effective communication is when our impact and our intention is lined up. So my message gets across accurately and effectively, and we have a mutual understanding. Now, in intimate relationships, we focus a lot on that because of their exclusivity and the high level of contact between people. But it's incredibly important in our friendships in order to nurture that connection. So if we don't have optimal communication, the connection actually means nothing. And the friendship then can't be sustainable. And we have to look at the most important variables of communication when it comes to building emotional closeness and a climate of emotional safety, which are empathy, being able to take somebody else's perspective and see their perspective, um, congruence, which is being authentic, saying what you mean and meaning what you say, mm-hmm. and unconditional positive regard, which is being non-judgmental. Um, which is giving the other person the benefit of the doubt that they are the expert in their lives, that we don't know better for them, um, accepting their choices even though we don't necessarily agree with them or make the same choices, and knowing that when they make a mistake and they impact on us in a way that we don't like, that is usually not their intention, and that we have to clear that out with levels of high levels of empathy and congruence in order to keep nurturing that connection into a sustainable relationship. Mm. And and how important is honesty now that we without on that issue of communication? Because sometimes you've got friends who tell each other what they want to hear, and and there's no you know that level of 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 honesty and frankness you know when they're dealing with issues. So you ask me for advice, or I tell you what I've done. I'm not going to tell you exactly what I think, but I tell you what you want to hear. So how important is just us being honest, even if you as Jeannie as my friend may not like what I'm about to say, but it's just honestly how I'm observing the situation. Kevin, you're asking the most beautiful questions. I really love it. So empathy, congruence, and unconditional positive regard, they, they live together in what I like to think of as a tripod. And if one of them is short, the whole thing falls down. So a lot of times on the shoe on the other foot, people can say the most the nastiest, uh, most judgmental things and then say, I'm just being honest. But honesty or congruence without empathy and with high levels of judgments is actually hurtful. Whereas high levels of empathy and unconditional positive regard without congruence leads us to become over-accommodating in our friendships, and that will lead to compatibility. So if we do that, if we're not congruent and we're not honest about our needs and our capacities, we can then become over-accommodating in friendships and invest in friendships that don't actually have the capacity to meet our needs, and then we get a problem with incompatibility. So empathy, congruence, and UPR, I call them the golden triangle. They're like a tripod. All three have to be there. And if one of them isn't there, the whole thing falls short. For example, if you have friends that you know are going to judge you, you're a lot less likely to be congruent with them. And if you aren't honest with them, they don't get the opportunity to give you empathy. And when they don't give you empathy, you feel judged. And so it goes around. Mm. So we have to take on an attitude of perspective, taking empathy and non-judgmental if we want our friends to be honest with us. And if we are going to be honest, we have to do it with empathy and being non-judgmental or else we can really hurt our friends and create distance and then they can become incongruent with us in return. Yeah. Uh, what if a friend calls and says, uh, and it's happened before, where a friend will call and say, okay, here's what happened. 
I don't want you to make a frank assessment because I have an idea of what you think, but I just want you to be a caring friend right now. <laughs> what do you do then? I mean, can you be sympathetic and say, I understand, even though you disagree with what the friend has done, that I understand why you've done that, um, and I will critique you on that another time. But right now, you're an emotional wreck, and you're looking for someone who can hold you dear and hug you and tell you it's all going to be okay. Because sometimes friends also just don't know uh, you know, when to plug in, when to plug off. When you are so bad and you're feeling bad, and they will make you feel even worse. <laughs> It's such a beautiful question. So there's two answers. The first one is it comes to compatibility, which we'll talk about just now. Is is this is this actually a compatible friendship, or is this person asking you to step out of your morals and values and do something that is betraying yourself in order to be loyal to them? That's one thing. Yeah. But I think on the situation that you're talking about, there's uh, my wonderful colleague Mark Khan, who's a very experienced psychotherapist, and he talks about um, um, corrective listening. Um, which is a concept from Jeff Brown, and Mark talks about feel it or fix it, and how a lot of the times we go too quickly into fixing it, and we get guilty of what we call corrective listening, which is we don't actually make space for people's uncomfortable emotions. We advise, we tell them to look on the bright side, we criticize where they've gone wrong, we provide them with a solution in an attempt to make them not feel bad anymore. But in doing that, we actually create so much distance in which they don't feel any kind of support. So when we're not corrected listening, we're first allowing a person to feel it. And that is where that empathy comes in. That is where that unconditional positive regard comes in. But it has to be congruent. It has to be something that you actually can congruently make space for us. It's incompatibility, which we'll talk about just now. But corrective listening is whenever you say to your friend, oh, well, you should have known better, or oh, at least, or oh, look on the bright side, or oh, don't feel bad. And that is actually so distancing and disconfirming um, and that's another very important C in, in the communication is that we need to feel confirmed in our friendships, to be seen for who we truly are and to be acknowledged for who we tru truly are and accepted for who we truly are. And corrective listening is the complete enemy of that, where we can't tolerate our friends mm. being unhappy yeah. or disappointed or sad or in pain, and we quickly rush in to fix it um, before we give them a chance to feel it. Now, there's time and space yeah. for fixing it and being there to help support with the solution. But we first really have to spend time creating an emotional climate of safety in which the person can just process first how they are feeling. Mm. But like I said, it could also be an incompatibility item if this goes against your morals, your values, yeah. or in some costs you too much to be able to do that for a particular friend. Yeah, and we'll expand more on, on that last C, compatibility, shortly. But wow, um, I was actually still processing what you're saying now, uh, Jeannie, because it's important. We've got a lot of corrective listening friends whom you call and Roddy there I mean there's a friend we call Judge Judy because you know all they do is when you are raising something with them they're not listening to be empathetic and also you know to understand where you're coming from but they're listening to tell you of how you messed up and should have known better I mean this is what you should do next or else uh, don't ever come back to me with the same problem. Do you have that kind of a friend and how do you deal with them? Give me a call. Lerato, you're calling from Midrand. Good morning. Hi, Clem. How are you? I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm, I'm fine, thanks. I hope you can hear me. I've got a bit of a flu. I can uh, hear you. But <laughs> I just wanted to say, as I was telling your producers, that I just find uh, friendship uh, very, very easy to initiate. I mean, I've had friends that I've had for like more than 10 years, 10 to 
close to 20 years. Mm. And it's just that the difference now in my 30s as opposed to when I was growing up is that I now can better communicate my needs and expectations and boundaries. Mm. And and without it feeling like it's the end of a friendship, I also find that um, being intentional is important and also recognizing that if you're different or you have different opinions with your friend, it doesn't mean that the friendship has to break up, but like break down. And then I think the reason people just take uh, friendship for granted or they break out is because they fail to communicate those needs and then they just decide, you know what, it's over. And then they don't put the same effort into the friendships as they would like romantic relationships or whatever. They mm. just take it for granted. Yeah. yeah, because for some reason we think, ah, oh, relationships, that's where you need to make a lot of investment. Uh, yes, but friendships, but yeah, as Jeannie says, they're those human psychological needs. Um, and there are certain things you're not going to get um, in your relationships that you will get or the needs that will be met in, in your friendships. Uh, thank you for, for calling, Lerato. Thank you for, uh, Lerato is calling us from Midrand. Jeannie, um, any reflection on, on what Lerato is raising? Yes, thank you so much for that, that beautiful reflection, Narat. So I can definitely hear how you've worked to stand in your own power in your friendships and realizing that it doesn't have to be all or nothing, um, but that the juice definitely has to be worth the squeeze. And there's something there in terms of boundaries that I wanted to point out from what Lerato shared is that um, the difference between somebody who's got boundaries like an onion versus somebody who's got boundaries like an egg. So people who've got boundaries like an onion have got that sort of um, that solar system arrangement where people can come into a level and then depending on, you know, the value that they add and the value that they need in order to keep the friendship going, you can arrange them into different strata closer and closer to you. And if you don't really get that much value or they do something that hurts you, you don't have to kick them all the way to Pluto. You maybe just put them up to Jupiter or Saturn. Um, and that's people who've got boundaries like an onion. And then what we find, and I find this a lot with people who've got relational trauma, is that they have boundaries more like an egg. They've got quite a hard shell, but once you break that shell, you can have absolutely everything from them. And that kind of person finds it difficult to set boundaries because the only way to get that person away from the yoke is to kick them all the way out past the shell again. And so they tolerate more and more and more. And like Lorette was saying, that it doesn't have to be like that when you work through your relational trauma and when you get to know yourself very well and when you have no expectation that if you care about me, you'll meet my need, that rather if we're compatible, we can meet each other's needs, you can actually arrange people on levels of the onion rather than having them either in the egg or out the egg, which I thought was really beautiful, Lorato. Mm. Ooh, wow, such important points. After the break, I'll get Ginny to expand more on the last C. Remember, she told us about connection, communication, and the last C is compatibility. Um, and I'm interested to know, right, because as friends, we evolve, right? We get into new phases of our lives. You know, they're friends of ours that have gotten married, they've got babies. You know, there are other friends that are in a different path. And this is where boundaries are probably incredibly important. And we have to look at just the value uh, that we add to a friendship versus the value that we get, as well as the value that is required um, from us in order for the other person to keep wanting to add value. And how do you draw up those boundaries as we move across the different phases of our lives? And I'll also take more of your calls and WhatsApp voice notes. Share your experiences with us. How are you maintaining and building Healthy friendship. 702. Family Matters.
So how much investment are you making, right, in maintaining a healthy friendship? You know, just as you do with your relationships, you know, in ensuring that there's communication, you know, ensuring uh, that there's honesty. That's so important, equally so even with friendships. And that's why we're talking this morning about building and maintaining healthy friendships. I've got Phil calling us from Pretoria. Phil, good morning. Hi, uh, good morning, the great Clement, and, and and thanks to your to your, to your Leonard guest. There, you know the <clears throat> relationships or friendships are places between people where we relate uh, to each other based on certain assumptions, and which is very key uh, of trust. You know this cognitive leap, or in organisation they call it psychological trust, which should be promissory and reciprocal. Mm. Se- second one is rules. There must be rules between people that we befriend or we relate with, it be in, in private churches or organizations or what. Mm. And there must be an exchange in it. Whenever the, the, and the concept that is binding us together, we can different at university because there's an academic uh, task that we need to in church because yes. there's a spiritual thing, yes. at home because there's a yes. Mm. So there must be boundaries and uh, we need to renew those particular boundaries, revisit them, and rather to say, are they, are they, are they building the relationship or are they, are they, are they killing the relationship? There must be this intra and inter communication, and this should be based on particular strict rules. I've gone through relationships where we gave people our private information, we, we can't delete it. They, they are gone busy broadcasting about that particular thing. So we need to ask, yes. Hey, you, I can really share that too much, Phil. You share too much yeah, when you're in love during pillow talk. Well, thank you, Phil. Ah, you're making some important points there, Phil. Um, you know about just the need for those boundaries and just explaining why sometimes you can build that connection with people depending on where and what stage um, of your life you are in, uh, Ginny. So this this brings us nicely into the, the, the last C, that about compatibility. Um, just explain to us more about what compatibility means when, when we talk about friendships. I've often wondered, you know, what happens when we move into different stages of our lives. Because as friends, we evolve. I've got friends that I used to be best friends with that I'm no longer best friends with. I've got friends who are not that close to me who at some point became so close to me. And, and I think at some point it depends on, you know, what your interests are, what stage of your life is. And, and, and I've realized that it also comes with the level of maturity to know that friendships evolve and people evolve. Just because you're not besties with someone you used to be besties with 20 years ago doesn't necessarily mean that the friendship has failed. Um, if you guys are still connecting, if you guys still seal the need and the value to be in each other's lives, that is still friendship. So speak to us more about this concept of compatibility. Yes, I was just going to to say thank you to Phil for that lovely introduction to our third C, which is compatibility, because that's what Phil was talking about. Um, because boundaries really are the meeting point between my needs and your capacity um, and your needs and my capacity. That is where we set a boundary. And the rules that are in friendship are implicit, whereas in a um, um, in a work situation, they're explicit. You give us this many hours for this amount of work and we pay you this much money, you get this much leave, these many benefits. But in a friendship, this is much more implicit. And like you're saying there, Kim, and that this can change over time. And I love to tell my clients this, a little story. Um, I call it the story of the magic friendship beans. 
And my story and this comes to compatibility is that, you know, in life, when we're born, we get half a jar of magic friendship beans in our hearts and happiness in life is when the jar is full and sadness in life is when the jar is empty. But now we can't buy more beans at the shops. We can't make more beans on our own. So we have to plant a bean in a friend's garden and wait for a beanstalk to grow. And sometimes we plant a bean in a friend's garden and we get two magic friendship beans in return for every one that we plant. And that's a sustainable friendship. It's a good idea to invest there. Sometimes we get one for one, and that's also fine. It gives us something to do, but we're never really going to grow. And sometimes we have to plant five beans in return for every one that we plant. Now, our magic friendship bean jar is going to get quite empty if we if we plant five for every one that we get in return, and that's an incompatibility. Is either you don't have capacity to meet my need, or I don't have capacity to meet your need sustainably. And just as you've said, sometimes you plant a bean in a friend's garden and you get 10 magic friendship beans in return for every one that you plant for a season. The next season you get three. The next season you get one for one. And then the next season after that, you have to plant five in return for every one. And that is when we actually aren't necessarily compatible anymore. But that doesn't mean that our friendship wasn't good for the time that we had it. And, you know, earlier when we were talking about when friendships go around, the codependence is sometimes also when we keep investing in, in friendships out of history or out of um, loyalty to what was once actually a sustainable and compatible friendship, but actually we just don't fit together anymore. And that's where we start to get buildup of resentment and guilt and what I call the guilt resentment seesaw, where we invest and we invest and we invest. We keep putting our magic friendship beans in and we start to get resentful that we're not getting friendship beans out. And then we might withdraw or become angry or feel not um, worthwhile or feel hurt or rejected or abandoned. And then we say something or we withdraw, we lash out, and then we feel guilty for doing that. And then we go and put more beans back in the garden before mm. we, because we feel guilty. So compatibility is really about do our needs and our capacities align with each other for where we are at this stage in our lives and having the flexibility. And like you said, you know, the, the self-knowledge and not the expectation that if others love you, they'll meet your need, but rather if others have the capacity to meet your need, to know that maybe this is a friendship that doesn't need to be on the inner circle anymore, but they can just sort of go a little bit more to the periphery and maybe in the future there will be more compatibility or maybe it's just one of those things that, you know, reason, season or lifetime, yeah. but that you don't continue to overinvest in a friendship that either requires too much in order for you to get what you need or that doesn't have the capacity for you to get your needs met. Mm. Phew. Uh, let's go to some WhatsApp voice notes coming through. 072-702-1702. Clement, my question on compatibility is the quiet people and or overly sensitive people, who are they compatible with? Because I, I think also it touches the issue of the communication as well. Thank you. Okay, so what? Quiet people um, who they are compatible with and overly sensitive um genie any answer to that because we are different i mean you can be an extrovert an outspoken person and have a friend who is actually quite you know an introvert and is quiet um but you guys can still maintain a friendship no yeah, so um, it's interesting that there's such a, an idea out there. And thank you so much for that beautiful voice note. It really brings up an important point um, around overly sensitive. So that's like saying uh, my, my sense of sight is too good or my hearing is too good. So, you know, we, there's a lot of research now into the highly sensitive person. And the highly sensitive person, I wouldn't use the word overly sensitive, but they are uniquely sensitive in that they notice 
so much more about energy and communication. So the people that they are compatible with are people that are highly skilled in communication and that have got high levels of empathy, congruence, and unconditional positive regard, and have got very, very strong communication skills. Because it's not that the highly sensitive person feels things um, more deeply, it's just they notice so much more. So there's so much more that they are dealing with. So, so you know, it's like a judge on master chef. Um, you know, they've got a very sensitive palate, so they can't just eat any old thing. They have to eat something that is high quality where the flavors are balanced or else it's unpalatable for them. So the highly sensitive person is compatible with people with high levels of communication skill. And it brings me to just something I wanted to fine tune around corrective listening, that corrective listening isn't just judging. Corrective listening is saying things like, don't be so sensitive, it's not so bad, and denying another person's uncomfortable feeling or trying to make them feel better about something that is very real for them. Oh, don't be so sensitive. I'm sure she means to phone you back. Or, oh, don't be so sensitive. Your boss, you know, needs to get everybody a chance to present. And for the highly sensitive person, HSP, and there's even a term for it now, HSP, and there's a lot of research, that these people have got a unique skill for empathy and pick up so much in their environment that corrective listening is very, very, very detrimental. So they need to be in friendships and relationships with people that don't corrective listen, that accept their, their feelings without judgment, in which they can be more congruent and feel more spontaneous to say how they feel so that they don't have to sit back and watch and wait to make sure that they're safe before they engage. So that was such a beautiful voice note. Thank you. Mm. Here's another one. Hi. Just loving this conversation, Clement. The psychologist is so spot on. I'm, it's my birthday on Wednesday, and I'm just thinking if I had to invite all my friends, what a mixed box of chocolates that would be. Yeah, <laughs> that's true, right? Yeah, uh, I have a mix mixed bag um, of friends too. Uh, fascinating, fascinating. Uh, you know, Jenny, what, what I've always wanted to know, and, and maybe there's no clear-cut answer to this, but is it best to like maintain friendships you have had, especially when you are, I don't know, over 35 or over 40? Or is there still a chance that you could meet like, like really good people who become really good friends? Because as I grow older, I mean, I'm only 32, but I'm realizing that I do not have that capacity uh, to bring in new people into my close circle. So I'm happy with the friends I have. If I meet you and we gel and there's that connection, you know, there's that compatibility, I guess it ends there. You can be an acquaintance. You can be a, a person I meet over lunch, a person I have conversations with, but you don't form part of that friendship cycle. And I wonder if, you know, that you know becomes more and more as you grow older or is there a chance in fact that you can meet someone at 50 or at 40 and you become friends with them and that is a new friendship i think both are true and i always prefer to look at what works rather than what should so if that's working for you and you are managing your energy and your needs are being reasonably met within this group and you don't really have a need at this stage the connection is still there the communication is optimal and you're still compatible then, you know, you don't fix, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, but yes, it is also very possible that as we go through different phases of our lives, I mean, even the TV show Friends had to end after 10 seasons. Yeah. You know, they were a closed <laughs> system. You know, we didn't, even in the last season, we didn't see much of um, of Phoebe's husband. Yes. You know, Mike joined the group. They were a very closed system and four of them married one another. Joey never married anybody. And I hope that, you know, the the 
Gen Zs that are listening even understand what I'm talking about with this TV show. But even friends had to end after 10 seasons. So sometimes we have this picture in our minds that that is the right way to do friendship, to have a very closed system. But as long as it works for you, so there's no should and there's no shouldn't. But I can tell you that what will work is to have connection, communication, and compatibility. And if you're trying to figure out what is no longer working for you in your friendship, then have a look at those three C's and see, is there something that can be done on that particular one, or is it actually a deal break in time to maybe branch out and find new friends? But yes, it's very possible later in life. Um, you know, I'm, I'm significantly, I don't want to say how much older than you are, Clemens, but yeah. significantly older. Um, yeah. And I've made some wonderful friends just this year, especially through the training that I offer to psychologists. You know, we've got that connection. We've got that thing in common. We can, we're all highly sensitive people, which is why I defended highly sensitive people so, so viciously earlier. Um, so that voice note, so we have the communication and we're compatible with the similar stages of our lives with similar needs and making very good friends at this stage of my life. Mm. So it both true, but it just depends. Are your needs being met? Are the three C's being met? Is it sustainable? Is it still fulfilling? And as you go through the different phases of your life, does that remain true or does it need to be updated? Yeah. Let's go to some uh, uh, messages here. Rose says, hi, Clement. Nice topic. Yeah, friendship. Friendships nowadays are evolving and changing. People leave for different reasons. Our growth, life, passions. One friend will always remain, though. That's what Rose says. Another person says, Clement, this irritating friend of mine, she criticizes everything I say. I realize she takes pleasure in not agreeing with me, even when she knows I'm right. She starts by disagreeing before I even finish a sentence. Um, and I'm really sick and tired of her. Uh, that's a message from Anonymous there. You, and this is what we were talking about earlier, Jeannie, about, you know, I think you call them what? Was it corrective listeners? Yeah, so this is a friend that is constantly maneuvering to one up. Oh, and I wanted to go back to what Phil was saying earlier about the rules, and it links with this, that in friendships, what we've got to have is we've got to have a parallel definition, which means that we are equal partners in making the rules, that we each take turns behind the steering wheel. So a relationship exists in space and time, so it has speed and direction. You can think of it like a moving car. And when it's a boss and an employee, the boss is the one driving the car, the employee is in the passenger seat. Now, it doesn't mean that the boss controls the passenger. It just means he controls the car like a parent and a small child. But in a friendship, what we want to have is we want to have a parallel definition where we take turns. So this particular friend, this critical friend, and you can hear how I nearly maybe use a bit of a swear word there, fed up, <laughs> let me rather fed up. <laughs> yeah. Up she is the impact or he the impacts of being so disconfirmed and continuously one up so the friend always maneuvers for control by saying no i am right and you are wrong and in a friendship we have to let each other take turns behind the series the steering wheel and this needs to shift so easily and imperceptibly that we don't even notice that it's changing but the summary is that we both get equal time behind the wheel deciding and making the implicit rules for the friendship and what we hear is with this critical friend is that she constantly maneuvers for that one up and how it doesn't leave this friend feeling like she, like he or she wants to keep investing in that friendship, feels safe to be vulnerable, feels like it's a safe relational space in which they can get their needs met. And it's I'm curious as to, you know, how much longer this person mm. can investing in this friendship when they are feeling so dissatisfied. Yeah, he's yeah. Um, yeah, this person is sounding really, really fed up. Uh, here's another message. Uh, my question, Clement, is: I travel a lot, and I have lived in different countries, and I find it harder and harder to make new friends as I get older. 
I try to organize meetups, but I find I'm the only one doing it. The other persons don't seem to be interested. Any advice from a psychologist um, would be great. Um, you know, I hear this so much about people saying um, about initiating. Mm. Um, and, you know, we do sometimes land up with a bit of a norm where one person takes responsibility for initiating. And there we can maybe look at effective expression of needs. And yes, it does does get more difficult as we get older because people have more and more responsibilities as they get older. So people have more and more responsibilities at work or they might get married or they might have kids or they might have aging parents or they might have um, greater financial responsibilities. So people definitely have less time. So I would say, you know, I don't see, I don't feel that if you're initiating that the other people aren't interested. If the person is coming to what you are initiating, it's a signal that they're interested. And if you feel like you can sustain initiating by not expecting that the other person shows interest by initiating and accepting that when they come and they give off their time and they show up and it's satisfying for you that that's enough for you, then that's great. But if that isn't enough for you, you can try by gently expressing needs such as, you know, um, it would be really wonderful for me if you could plan our next get together. That would make me feel extra special. Um, and then see what the friend does with that. But taking away the expectation that, that um, spontaneity and sincerity are the same things in a relationship, that just because the other person doesn't um, initiate doesn't mean that they're not interested. And if you take that out of the equation, does that make the interaction satisfying enough for you? If it does, problem solved. And if yeah. it doesn't, you do want the other person to initiate, then you can say, you know, I'm going through, we must say, you know, I'm going to be going through um, some, you know, some travels and tough times of work. I'd really love it if you could check in with me from time to time. That would make me feel extra special. Or, you know, I had such a great time with you today. I'd really love it if you could plan our next get-together. So let me know when you're ready to um, initiate our next get-together. So when we're expressing needs and we do it effectively, we rather tell the other person what it is we would like them to do instead of saying what it is that they haven't done or that we don't like what they do. And we give them an emotional motivation by saying something like, it would make me feel extra special or I feel easy more appreciates it than I already do so that the other person doesn't feel like they're being criticized and what they've done isn't good enough because that will only invite defensiveness and withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've got, I think, three more, uh, Jeannie, and we've got about two minutes left, so let, let's try and push them. Justin in Boxburg says, Clement, great topic. I have a friend who is almost 20 years older than me. Does age difference matters as long as the three C's, uh, as, as long as the three C's are satisfied? That's a question from Justin. Yeah, Justine, one of my best friends is my, my colleague, Mark Khan. Mark is um, 31 years older than I am. And we're besties. We talk every single day, but we have the three C's. So definitely age is just a number when it comes to the three C's and friendship. But a lot of times compatibility can be age-related depending on where you are in your life phase. But it's not a deal breaker if all three C's are there. Yeah, listen, all my, in fact, all of my friends are much, much older than me. Another person, hi, Clement. Um, when you're talking about adding value to a friendship, what kind of value is that? It depends on what that person's need is. It could be time, the five love languages. So what is this person's love language? Is it quality time? Is it um, the physical touch, which is usually not so much in friendships, but in romantic relationships? Is it acts of service? You're there for them when they need you. Is it gifts? You buy them something meaningful and special for their birthday or make a nice gift for them. Um, Or is it words of affirmation? They need to hear from you frequently. 
So the adding value is what is this person's love language and do you have the capacity to meet them in their love language? So I, for example, I don't have a lot of free time. So if my friend's love language is um, quality time, it's going to be quite difficult for them to feel satisfied because I don't have a lot of free time. But I do love sending messages and checking in. So if their love language is words of affirmation, um, then we can have a compatibility. So the value that you add is the love language that your friend has. And do you have the capacity to meet that love language? Yeah. Well, let me wrap up with this message. Hi, Clement. Now when I vent to your friend, I expect them to put petrol. I don't expect them to put petrol. I get so angry when I vent and a friend calls me to order. I need a friend who allows me to vent and then show me the way afterwards. That's a message from Madimpo. Ginny, you've been great. Thank you so much for making time.